Thank you, uh, Josh, for sharing uh, your journey with us. Uh, speaking of uh, impeccable taste in clothing, Josh has been modeling for us uh, our new Harvest Youth Ministry uh, crew neck. Uh, if you are wanting one, uh, Josiah's wearing it as well. There's a bunch of different, uh, I don't know, they weren't supposed to wear them today, right? But you guys just did. Um, they're different designs. If you're wearing one of the Harvest Youth <laughs> merchandise, can you? I don't see that many. But if you are, can you stand up? Yeah, can you stand up so that people can see? No, you don't have to clap, but these are um, models for you. You can clap if you want. Go ahead. Let's clap. Yay. Rayhan, go ahead. Stand up. Yeah, different, um, different designs. There's one that uh, a company called Patagonia ripped off of us also. So if you're interested in any of these designs, you could talk to uh, Josiah or any of the student leadership, and they would love to uh, connect you with uh, yeah, opportunities for you to be able to sport this swag as well. Um, welcome to those who are worshiping online. Um, if you want one of the, these shirts, crew neck or t-shirt, you can uh, email Josiah. Uh, you can indicate that uh, in the comments or um, fill out one of our uh, newcomers forms, um, even though that's not really the same thing. But you could do that if you really are desperate to find a way to get uh, <laughs> this, this, uh, this merchandise. Um, we're continuing our s series in Proverbs, and I, I came across this story um, and I Googled it. I didn't go on Snopes.com uh, to see if it was actually true or not. I'm going to assume it's not because there's like so many different variations of it. So um, the, the details and the factuality of it is not what's important at this time. Um, it's just kind of the, the point. Uh, there was a, a guy who came out of his workplace and uh, he went to his car in the parking garage. And the car was, uh, I forgot what it was, uh, what was it called? What did I say in the first service? McLaren. It was called the McLaren uh, GT. So it was a really nice car. And he goes in the parking garage, and he sees this like eight, nine-year-old boy uh, staring at the car. He's kind of like looking at it, walking around it, circling around it. And so the guy is a little bit uh, kind of suspicious of the boy, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And the boy's like, oh, is this your car? Uh, this is a really nice car. I really love it. And so the, the guy's like, yeah, this is my car. And the kid's like, you know, he's like, yeah, this is really cool. I, McLaren is my favorite kind of car. And then he just like starts naming all the specs on it and talking about the engine and the, the tires and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, this is like so awesome. It's one of my, uh, one of my all-time favorite cars. And the, and the man was like somewhat impressed that an eight-year-old knew so much about the car. And the boy said to him, hey, um, just wondering if I could ask, uh, how much do you have to pay like to get a car like this? And uh, the man was a little bit taken aback, but he said, you know, actually, I, I'm not altogether sure because uh, one of my friends growing up, uh, we grew up together, he works for the McLaren company, he's one of, like, the executives, and um, he actually gave this car to me as a gift, like, he gave it to me as a present. And the boy was, like, dumbfounded. He was like, oh, my goodness. And he's just kind of speechless for a second. He's like, I, man, I wish that, and then he just couldn't, he couldn't talk. And, and the man said, I know what you're thinking, yeah. It would be awesome to have a friend. <laughs> it would be awesome to have a friend like that. Don't you wish you had a friend like that who would gift you a McLaren GT, even if it's not a McLaren, even if it was like a Camry? Like, wouldn't you love to have a friend who worked for the Toyota company and could give you a car like that? Having a friend the right kind of friend, the right kind of friends can make you the richest people in the world, even if they never give you a car. Study after study after study has shown this to be true. They, 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 there are these studies that say you could have the worst diet, take the worst care of your body, eat all junk food, 
sleep poorly, be so stressed out, but if you've got like one or two great friends, you will outlive the person who takes impeccable care of their body, counts their calories, eats everything right, but doesn't have any close relationships. It's the power, the life-giving, healing, sustaining power of deep friendships in the life of a person. There's another study I, I, I read this week that said that a woman, okay, a woman, okay, not for men, for some reason this is true of women, if women have a close friend, a close friend, someone that they would ride or die, that kind of a friend, if a woman has that, they are 10 times less likely to suffer from depression. 10 times if you've got a friend like that. As you've been reading through, uh, if you've been reading through, and as you've been reading through the book of Proverbs, you will see that there are certain themes that come up often and frequently throughout your reading in the book of Proverbs, and we're hitting on a bunch of these things, and one of these things is the friendships that we have, the relationships that we have, the company that we keep, the circles that we run in. In fact, over 40 times in the book of Proverbs are there verses that deal with friendships, because Solomon and other wisdom writers knew about the importance of having the right kind of relationships, the right kind of friendships to sustain you through this rat race, often difficult, called life. Not only did the, uh, the wisdom writers in Proverbs know that, but Jesus knew that also, didn't he? When they asked him, Jesus, of everything that was written in the law, what's the most important thing? Hey, what's the most important thing? And he said, well, I'll tell you what it is for the sake of, because uh, you asked for a command. The most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what is commanded as the most important thing. But what then, if it, you put that in noun form, what is the most important thing? The essential ingredient to having life the way that it was meant to be lived? Here's what it is. It's having the right relationships. The right relationship with God, what's that look like? It means love God with everything. And the right relationship with people to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. There's a million things that are good in life, but there's one thing that is truly great. And one thing in life that can truly turn your life into something that's mundane, into something that's amazing, something from good to something that's great. And he's saying that's the quality, the power, the depth the nature of the relationships that you engage in. That's the determinant of what makes a life for a person. What we're going to do is we're going to continue to do what we've been doing over the past few weeks. We're going to take this idea of friendship and then we're going to look at it through the lens of Proverbs to filter it through a grid. What does the wise look like in their friendships and what do the foolish look like in their friendships? We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to read verse 20. We're not going to read from that many verses as we've been reading. We're, we'll look at about four today. We're going to start in Proverbs 13, verse 20. And for all the wisdom of Proverbs, as it relates to friendships and relationships, um, we're just going to bracket it into two major categories here. And the first thought comes out of Proverbs 13, verse 20. This is God's word. It says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, you can read that again, and, and again, you can hear the words wisdom and folly in it. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Here's the first thing that we see in Proverbs, and this is just a representative of the many verses, but the first thing is choose your friends wisely because they shape who you become. Choose your friends wisely because they shape who you become. 
I don't think we need to be told this in order for you to be able to spout this truth out of your own lips, but to know it and to live it are two separate things. Again, as Solomon is talking about friendships through the categories of wisdom and folly, here's what he says. If you have wise, if you have wisdom in your friendships, then the people you run with will make you wise and it will lead you to life. If you think about friendships through a foolish lens, you'll hang out with foolish people and it will lead you to harm. In other words, who you hang with, the wise or the foolish, is going to shape you into becoming either a wise person who finds life or a foolish person who finds harm. What kind of people are you letting into your circle these days? It's very important because who you are, and most studies will say this, who you are in the future, 10 years down the line, who you are 10 years later will be a product of the books that you read and the company that you keep. In other words, you will become some, say, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's who you will become. Who are you letting into your circle? Because here's the hard reality, not everyone in your circle is actually in your corner. Not everybody who runs with you and says, I'll be there for you, is actually for you. Not everyone who grew up with you is ready to grow up with you. Somebody said, don't confuse the length of your friendship with the strength of your friendship. Not everybody in your circle is someone that you ought to have in your circle. Because not everyone in your circle is actually in your corner. You see this in two places. The power of your friendships to make or break your life. You see this in two places in the Gospels. Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke's Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this one, one guy. His one guy, he didn't have anything going for him. He was paralyzed. That means he spent his life laying down on a mat. There was nothing that could be done for a paralytic back in those days. Nothing medically could be done. You could not control your bowel movement, so he became very smelly in time. He couldn't work, obviously. He can't do anything. There's no computer, so you can click for cash or anything like that. Can't do anything. You just lay there, and you beg for money. You're smelly. You're annoying to some people. People don't want to be around folks like that. He had to beg in order to sustain himself, had to beg for food. Nothing was going well for him in life. But there were actually two things. Number one, first thing was Jesus was coming to town. Okay, Jesus was coming to town. And maybe, just maybe, if I get into the presence of Jesus, that something could be done about the prison that is my own body. Maybe I could be freed from this life. Well, that's a long shot. He's paralyzed. How's he going to get there? The other good thing he had going for him, which probably made him richer than most people who are alive today, is he had, he had four friends who were willing to go to battle for him. He had four friends who were willing to say, you know what, we're going to carry you to Jesus so that your life could be changed today. We're going to take you to Jesus. So they picked him up on his mat for them, and they carried him. They get to the house Jesus is at. The only problem is the, the, the meeting's already started. They got there a little bit too late, and the house is packed. There's no way they could get in. 
Well, what would you do? You would say, oh, we, we tried. Okay, see ya. We got to go to do our thing. They could have said that. They could have said, well, why don't we just wait here? Because when Jesus is done, he'll walk out. And he's got to leave the house. There's only maybe one exit. We'll just kind of wait at the door. We'll get Jesus when he comes out. But they didn't know, maybe because Jesus was becoming kind of a celebrity at that time, that they'd never be able to get past the crowds and, and to Jesus. I don't know what they thought, but for whatever reason it was, they said, we got to get you to Jesus now. We've got to interrupt this regularly scheduled program to bring Break the roof to get you into the presence of Jesus. What kind of a friend would do that for somebody? Somebody's got to pay for that roof made out of straw and clay and mud, wood, probably all those things. Somebody got to pay for it. It's not going to be the paralyzed dude. He's got no money. They break through the roof. They lower the man down. And a few minutes later, he who once was carried on a mat everywhere he went, carried his mat wherever he went as a show that I've been healed by Jesus. Je but, but what was it? Here's a, here's a crazy thing. They brought him to Jesus. Yeah, now it's up to him to talk to Jesus. No, no, no. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It was his friends who believed when he might not have been able to believe. It was the friend's faith who changed this man's life. You cannot say that the company that you keep has no effect on your life. This man's life was changed because of the power of the friendships that he had. Who are you hanging with? Do your friends have life-giving power like that in your life? Because Jesus tells another story that might be a little bit sad. He tells a story, and this is not a true story like the one we just heard, but this is a story Jesus tells as a parable. It's meant to be seen as a fictional story of the heart of God. But it's about a young man who's probably a teenager, maybe in his early 20s, but he goes to his dad and he says, I'm sick and tired of this provincial, boring, rural life. I want to go and I want to live in the city. I want to see the bright lights. I want to go, to, I want to go and I want to enjoy life. And so he liquidizes, liquidates his dad's assets and gets a, 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 probably a third of the inheritance if the older son gets a double portion. He, whatever it was, he gets a large sum of money from his dad and he leaves and he goes and it says he engages in wild living. I don't know what wild living necessarily looks like. It probably meant a lot of wine a lot of women, a lot of partying, a lot of things that require money, but the kind of things that draw many people around you. And so he had friends. And every time you've done a skit about the prodigal son from Luke 15, he's always got women and he's always got uh, alcohol and he's always got a bunch of hangers on around him, right? That's the kind of life that the young son went and lived. But as soon as the money ran dry, as soon as the money ran out, so too did his friends got so bad he hit rock bottom. He had no food to eat. He had no place to sleep. He had no money. He dreamed of dad's home. The only thing he could do until he went home was, I'm just going to feed pigs. And he would sit in the midst of the pigsty. If you ever studied this passage when you were a kid, the picture in children's books have him sitting amidst the mud, hanging out with pigs, right? And, and, and it says he even... Uh, he longed to eat the food that was back home. The temptation was to eat the food that the pigs were eating. If you think that's disgusting, imagine for a Jewish person for whom pigs are not kosher. 
This is the absolute lowest and basest of degradation that he's engaging into here. Why did he have no food to eat? Why didn't he have a, a, a little bit of money? Why didn't he have a hotel? Why didn't he have a, a place to stay? Because he didn't have any friends who actually cared about him. You walk with the wise, you grow to become wise. You walk with the godly, you become godly. You walk with fools, you become like a fool. Here's what it says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, and this describes this young son, but it also describes many people who are alive today. In 1824, um, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm sorry, Luke 15, the prodigal son, there was a man of many companions, came to ruin until that day when into the darkness he whispered the name of God and called his name into the night and then God came and rescued him. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who knows if the paralyzed man had a family, if he had brothers, but he had four friends who stuck closer than a brother to him and it shaped his life and it changed the direction of his life from that point forward. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Who's in your circles here? Because for a lot of young people, I would say, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe when you turn 30 or 40, you don't care about this as much, but when you're a teenager, when you're tw- in your 20s, when you're single, uh, we often think about this, don't we? We often think about, I, I want to be popular. I want to have many companions around me. Right? That's what we want. But what the wisdom of Proverbs is saying is you've got to be careful which people you allow to come into your circles because you've got a lot of companions uh, and then it may often lead to ruin. I, I had a, uh, have a friend, a uh, couple friends who were, they're both, you know, uh, socially well-adjusted. They did well in, 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 uh, in terms of like their, you know, popularity profile when they were in school. They got a couple of teenagers who are in, high, in, in, in school now and, um, we're just catching up uh, recently and saying, hey, how are the kids doing? And it's like, oh, you know, they're, they're doing great. They're doing well in school, blah, blah, blah. I was like, are they, uh, are they as uh, active in the social game as you and your wife are? And he's like, no, nah, man, my kids, they, they don't have, uh, they're not popular at all. They're, they're, like, they're like so not cool. Um, and so I started, I started kind of feeling bad. He's like, they're nerds. They just got their friends. They got, a bunch, they got their friends at church, but at school, nobody knows who they are. I started feeling bad, and I was like, hey, how, you know, how you, how you feel about that? He's like, I, I love it. Like, we love it. Like, we don't want them to deal with all of the stuff that comes with being popular, all of the stress and all the pressure and all the temptations of being popular. That's wisdom coming from a parent. I, I was on a, an airplane, uh, it must have been a couple years ago now, but there was a lady, she was, uh, she, she was in her mid-20s, and she had um, a little baby, probably like a couple months old with her. And uh, there was this elderly man who was looking at the baby and trying to make the baby laugh. That's what everybody does on an airplane, try to make the baby smile at them. And the elderly man looked at the, the lady and said, oh, my gosh, she is precious. She is gorgeous. She's going to grow up to be a model one day. And without missing a beat, this lady said, oh, heavens, no. Oh, Lord, no. I hope, I hope and pray that she never becomes a model. I do not want those kinds of people hanging around my daughter. Whatever those kinds men. I don't, I don't know necessarily mean models or people who love models or companions of models, whatever it was, but she understood. She's like, I just want my daughter, I just want her to be a normal girl, grow up having a normal life. 
a lot of parents want their kids to be pretty or popular, to have all the friends in the world, but they oftentimes overlook the wisdom of knowing and keeping your circles close and keeping a close watch on who's in your circle and who's not. There was wisdom I realized in my parents whenever they would pray for my children. They would always pray, help them to have good friends in their lives. Like, I, like who prays for those things? I guess people who know and people who understand. The most important thing in your life, apart from your relationship with God, are the people that you surround yourself with. Because invariably, you will become like the people you hang with. Why is that? Because so much of our lives, there's a deep longing. There's a deep longing within every human soul for one thing, and this thing is called acceptance. We want to be accepted. We want to be accepted by the people in our circles. And so if the right people or if certain people accept us and we'll include them in our circles, but you got to be careful because some of those people will ask you to do things you don't want to do in order for you to feel accepted within that group of people. And they will shape you into becoming somebody either that you want to be and that God wants you to be or they will shape you into becoming something or someone that you don't want to be. Parents, this is, this is huge for us. We have to pray for the people that our children are hanging out with, for your nephews, your nieces, your grandchildren, from, who, from whomever that is, because we will be shaped and molded by the company that we keep. As you audit your relationships, who are you hanging out with? I had a thought that came to mind that I, I want to share, but because we're on video, I don't think I can share it. But we have to be very cautious. Yeah, because some of the people that we hang with are not going to be people who help us to become who God has called us to be. There's a, um, uh, there's a show on Netflix that Olivia and I have, have gotten into. Uh, we don't often watch too many shows. We have, we have our differences in, in terms of what we like. We, we like the humor of The Office. We like you know, certain other shows, but um, there hasn't been something that we've really gotten into for quite some time. She likes watching dramas, and she likes watching things that are a little bit more, you have to think. I like watching things where you don't have to think. I like watching you know, the NBA or NA, NFL or, or baseball. Um, we finally found something that combines both of these together. The drama, the comedy, and the athleticism. It's a show called Cobra Kai. It's uh, kind of like the 20 years later from uh, The Karate Kid, yeah, the best one, which was number one and number two. I heard that in the third season, they're going to go to Okinawa, yes. But uh, this is Cobra Kai, and we're watching this. And, and what we love about it is we started watching this probably about you know, th this month, and it coincides perfectly uh, with the teachings of the book of Proverbs. That's why we like it. Everything that Proverbs is teaching about relationships and friendships is echoed in Cobra Kai. So there's walk, you're walking on the path of school, you're getting beat up and you're getting bullied. So now you've got two choices. I'm going to go to either one dojo or another do dojo. One is the dojo of wisdom. The other is the dojo of folly. Okay? So here, here it is. Cobra Kai, the namesake of this TV show, Cobra Kai believes in this simple philosophy of life that, hey, life isn't fair. This life is not fair. There's a girl named Tori. She's like, yeah, my mom got sick. She had to stop working, so she got fired. Uh, life just isn't fair. She's the poster child of Cobra Kai. The motto of Cobra Kai is strike first, strike hard, no mercy. 
Aits, right? That's what they say. Aits. A-I-T-S. Aits. Yeah. So this is Cobra Kai. People of Cobra Kai, you go into Cobra Kai, and this is how, they're like these nerds who are getting picked on at school. They're getting beat up all the time. They go to Cobra Kai, and now all of a sudden, they strike first, strike hard, no mercy. They become these mean, wicked, evil people. They cheat during tournaments. They do cheap shots. They get disqualified. And in real life, they do cheap shots. They're vengeful. They're angry. They destroy other people's dojos. The mother of one of the Cobra Kai students, right? a guy named Miguel, when she sees Miguel at his first tournament, she's like, I saw in Miguel's eyes he's a different person because of Cobra Kai. He's an evil, wicked, mean person because he hangs out with the Cobra Kai. The other dojo is a group of people called Miyagi-Do. Right? Miyagi-Do. These are the people who are trained under the tutelage and the lineage of Mr. Miyagi. Wax on, wax off, right? He's all about balance, right? You do this with one hand, you do this with the other hand. It's about balance, not only in, in karate, but in all of life as well. You've got to find balance. This can't be everything. That can't be everything. You've got to have balance in life. You never strike first. Okay? It's always about self-defense. It's about breathing. It's about being the right kind of a person. And so you have the wicked, evil people of Cobra Kai, and then you've got the kind-hearted people of Miyagi-Do Karate. And as you walk on the path of life, you realize very quickly that you become like the people you surround yourself with. As you do an inventory of the relationships in your life, are the people that you are including in your circle the kind of people that you want to be like 10 years later? Doesn't matter that they, and you shouldn't think, oh yeah, you know what, but, but they're popular, but they're beautiful, but they have lots of money. Are these the kind of people that you want to become like? But they go to church with me. Again, not everyone who grew up with you will grow up with you. Not everybody who says they're your friend wants your best interest in the choices that they make and the advice that they give to you. Who are you running with? We have to be careful who we include in our circles because our friendships will shape who you are. That's the first thing that Proverbs tells us. So what kind of friends ought we be looking for then? The second thing that we see, and we're going to look in Proverbs 17, 17 is just the, the next page before. The second thing that we see, and the other thing that we're going to look at today, is that a good friend loves always, okay, loves always, wounds sometimes, but constantly points you to Christ. I'm going to try and look at each of these in turn, but here's what a good friend does. If you want to hear it all at once, they love always, they wound sometimes, but they constantly point you to Christ. Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and the brother is born for adversity. Do you have friends in your life, people in your circle who love you at all times? They love you at 3 p.m., but they also love you at 3 a.m. 
They love you when you're committed to Christ and growing and going to church, going to SNF, coming to house church every week. They love you when you stop going to church and you stop going to SNF and you stop attending house church. Do you have people in your life who love you when you've got a great job and, every, and on, your, on your every week Monday lunch, they're able to pay for you? And they love you when the job is no longer there and there's no longer the ability to pay. Do you have friends who will love you at all times when loving you will make them popular and when loving them will make, you, will make them unpopular? Do you have friends who love at all times? So I'll tell you what, it's become a lot more difficult to find friends like that these days, isn't it? It used to be, in the early part of the 2000s, it used to be pretty much that's what you had. You had friends. So I, I talked about this at, at our uh, first service, but back in the, um, there was a shift, right? Shift in ev even TV. I don't know what there is on TV now because there's just so many like TV shows. But in the 80s, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even before then, the main unit of social relationship network was a, was a family. That's why everybody watched shows like um, The Cosby Show. Right. or family ties, uh, silver spoons. It was all centered around the family and about families eating together and families giving people advice. Full House was even like that. And then the shift happened in the late 90s into 2000 where it was no longer families. Right? With the rise of Generation X, the latch key, uh, this rise of this generation where families became less and less important and it was more about your friends. It was about, you know, even in wrestling, the group was called the Wolf Pack. It was about your packs that you ran in. It was about shows like Friends that epitomized that, uh, that kind of a cultural milieu and the social networks that were important at those, in those times. It was Friends. It was Party of Five. It was Melrose Place. It was Beverly Hills 90210. It was those relationships with your friends that meant everything. But these days, here's what C.S. Lewis said back in the day. He said, when things get busy, the first relationship to fall by the wayside are our friendships. And in these days, post-COVID, in the midst of COVID-19, the strength of relationships and friendships is really being shown now. When we've got all the time, especially during the early stages of lockdown. We had more time than we did. How, were our in, how was our engagement with our relationships, with our friendships? Are we growing and developing these relationships? I would venture to say that we don't talk about friendships the way that we used to, even like five years ago. Because if it was family in the 80s, 90s, if it was friendships, now it's been replaced by social networks. We don't pick up the phone and call that much anymore. We just text people. And if you want to talk with a friend, a, a lot of times, and this is, like, this is what we, we have to schedule it in. People used to just drop by unannounced. Hey, oh, yeah, I brought you food. Yeah, come on in. Let's eat. Now life is so busy that we've got so many other things that, like C.S. Lewis said, when life gets busy, the first thing to fall by the wayside is our friendships. Why? because we live in a commodity-driven culture and it's seeping into our mindset. Basically, that, what that means is you see something that you want, you pay money for it. If the money that you pay 
is less than the benefit you derive from it, then you will keep going to that thing. But if the cost gets too high, then you no longer need that benefit anymore. I don't want to buy it. It's, it's true of a car. It's true of a house. It's true of candy. It's true of clothing. It's true of everything. If it's, uh, I want that, I really want it, cost too much, I'm not going to get it. Cost enough, uh, cost a little bit, then, then, I'll, then I'll get it. For the first time, these researchers have said, sociologists have said, for the first time in America, the commodification of our culture has seeped into a place where it was never before, and that's in the area of our friendships, where we've begun, began to run our friendships through a cost-benefit analysis. If this friendship is worth it, then I'll stay in it. If it's not worth it, then I'm not going to engage in it. That person, I would hang out with them. I love hanging out with them, but you know what? They just drain me. I don't want to hang out with them anymore. But a friend loves at all times, in good times and in bad times. What kind of friends do you have around you? Do you have people who love at all times. Love you when you're well. Love you when you're not. Love you when you're young. Love you when you're old. Love you when you're suffering. Love you when you're soaring. You have people like that in your life. A friend loves at all times. But not only that, they understand what love means. That sometimes, and here's the second part, sometimes love must wound in order to really be loving. Proverbs 27, 6. We looked at this as we were talking about um, the power of words. But Proverbs 27, 6 also talks about the power of a good friend and to what lengths they would go in order to be a friend to you. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You would think that it would say kisses from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies wounds. But it doesn't say that. It says an enemy multiplies kisses. Do you have a friend who's always making you feel nice, making you feel loved, making you feel warm, telling you how beautiful you are, telling that they love you, kissing you, always doing that? I just feel so good around them. Solomon says, that's not a friend. That's not a friend. That's an enemy. They're not, if, you, if your friend never makes you feel wounded, never calls you out on certain things, that's not a friend, that's an enemy. Here's what a friend does. A friend wounds because you know that they love you. Those wounds can be trusted. Do you have a friend who calls you out on things in life? I was uh, listening to, I was just in the same room as as my um, eight-year-old Elijah while he was doing his virtual school. And, um, you know, all these, like, other eight-year-old kids are asking questions. And um, a lot of the kids in Elijah's class are not fluent in English. Well, I don't want to say that, that English is not maybe their first language. They speak the language well, but um, they, some of them are, you know, they're, they're, they're still learning. And so um, Mrs. The teacher asked, uh, okay, kids, how many of you guys remember the story that we read last week, the story about blah, blah, blah? And uh, nobody remembered. Uh, a couple people um, apparently said they, they did. Probably Elijah did because he's doing well. But this one girl, I'm just kidding about that. But this one girl said, Mrs. Uh, said, teacher, um, I, I don't know if I remember. Who, who, are the, who are the correctors? And she's like, what? <laughs> That's how she, 
Uh, I hope she's not listening. But uh, who, who, are the, who are the correctors? What did you say? I, I, I don't know. Who are the, in the story, who are the correctors? I'm not sure I know what you mean. Remember you told us that every person who's in the story is called a corrector? <laughs> she's like, oh, you mean the characters. <laughs> The characters. Yeah, you hear the characters were the three little pigs and the wolf. These are the characters. And, and she, what she was saying was, oh, you know, what she meant to say was who are the people in the story. But I think at a, at a deeper level, it leads us to ask the question in our lives. Of all the characters in your circle, who are the correctors in your life? We're willing to say, hey, you know what? I think you're spending a little bit too much time on this thing, on the stock market, on the video game, on that relationship, on that hobby, at work, whatever it is. And I think it's hindering your relationship with God. I think it's hindering your ministry. I think it's hindering your uh, witness. I think it's hindering your... Uh, your, your family, whatever it might be. Who are the correctors in your life who are willing to wound you, but you can trust those wounds because you know that they come from a place of love? Hey, I don't think you should go down that path because that guy is exactly the same as every other guy that you've been in a relationship with, and this is the problem with that. You have people who are willing to say that. Instead of, oh, you know what, uh, I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to ruin the relationship. I don't want to rock the boat. What they're really saying is, I don't want to put myself through the pain of shaking up the relationship. That's what they're really saying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says there's nothing, there's nothing as brazen and as callous as the person who is unwilling to correct a friend because they fear what it might do to the relationship, and yet there's nothing as compassionate as the one who calls out their friend in order to protect them and to save them and to wound them so that they do not bring harm in a deeper level to their lives. A true friend not only loves at all times, but they're willing to wound sometimes when you need it. But all of that in order that the true friend would constantly point you to Christ. The friendships that you have, that boy or that girl that you go into a relationship with, when you look at, this is what Wellington Boone said when I was a freshman in college. He said, when you look into the eyes of that person, do you see Jesus in them? Right? That busted a lot of people up who were involved in relationships in the dark with people they should not be in relationship with because they knew when I look into their eyes, I'm not seeing Jesus. When you look into the eyes of that person that you're crushing on, do you see Jesus? When you see your friendships, do they point you constantly, not just once, like at a retreat years ago, but constantly pointing you to Christ? Some friends will lead you everywhere. Let's go to this party. Let's go to this uh, friend's house. Let's go to this place. They lead you everywhere, but closer to Jesus. Who are the people in your, in your circles? And are your friends leading you closer constantly to Christ. This is what God is calling us to. It's the power of friendship. We began um, this time talking about a McLaren GT, this 
amazing car and a man and a boy. And a boy who was lost for words when he heard that the man's friend had gifted him with that amazing car and he stumbled to say, man, I wish. And the man said, don't you wish you had a friend like that? Well, the boy said, it would be great to have a friend like that, but what I was going to say was, I really wish that I could be a friend like that to someone someday. Where do friendships begin? It's not by you going on a search to find the best friend. It's about you becoming the best friend. Do you? Are you the kind of people, are you the kind of person that people want in their circle? Do you love at all times? Being willing to wound people, your children, your spouse, your friends, if that would be the most loving thing to do. Are you the kind of person who's constantly pointing others to Christ? Or are you pointing to yourself? Are you pointing to something else? Are you pointing to their greatness? Or do you help people see how beautiful Jesus is and how worthy he is? Well, this now becomes really hard because now it's not about them and their problem, their bad friends. Now it's on me to change. <laughs> this is why marriages actually, this is when marriages actually change. When husbands stop saying, my wife, she, she don't love at all times, she don't wound, she don't love, all that. But when we realize that this is who I've got to be first, instead of listening to W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me, we start thinking about how can I give to the other person. Because the wisdom of the good book says, it begins with us, begins here. And Proverbs actually even tells us where that starts. <laughs> it says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who is this friend? Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Who does this sound like? Well, it sounds to me that there was a man 2,000 years ago who lived, who loved his friends so much, who had a, a, one person in his circle who multiplied kisses. In fact, the kiss was a sign of his betrayal. But Jesus knew, Jesus knew that wounding Judas was necessary, calling him out at the Last Supper, that it was Judas who ended up turning his back on Jesus. Even so, Jesus washed his feet, loving him at all times. John 15, the last speech Jesus would give to his people, to his friends, he said, here's how you can become a great friend. He said, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. For greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, I am that friend to you. I am that friend who sticks closer than a brother to you. Your brother, your sister will fail you. 
you hear, man, sometimes you go online and you can hear these best man speeches and the brother gets up and he's like, yeah, I'm the best man because he's my brother here. My brother has known me ever since, uh, ever since I was born, literally every day of my life, every moment of my life. He's been there for me. He knows everything about me. He knows me inside and out. I want to say, no, you don't. he doesn't. He don't know everything about you. He hasn't been there every moment of your life. Like there are times when you're sleeping in your room. He was sleeping in it. He wasn't with you every moment of your life. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother because it was Jesus who was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced, crushed for our iniquities. Punishment that brought us peace with our maker was upon Jesus. But what did his wounds do? (laughs) By his wounds, we are healed. What kind of a friend would do that for us? Only one who loves us and sticks closer to us than a brother ever could. He laid down his life for you and for me. You want to you wanna, you wanna have the right people in your circles? It's not about hunt and peck. It's about you becoming the best kind of person. And then you praying. This is something this important worth praying for. God, would you give me the best friends that we could walk with, we could run with, we could go until the end with, that they'll wound me at times, I'll wound them at times, but we will always love and we'll always point one another to Christ. This is what he's calling us to. These are the kinds of relationships that begins by being befriended by Jesus, walking with him, understanding the kind of friend that he is to you, and then loving others in the same way that you've received love from him. That's where it starts. It starts with us, starts today. Let's pray. Let's pray as we examine our hearts. Three thoughts I want us to think about. One, who's in your circle? What are the things that need to change? Two, what kind of a friend are you? Do you love always, wound sometimes, and constantly point to Christ? And three, probably most importantly, Consider the friend that Jesus is to you (coughs) who has loved you in your worst, told you the truth about your sinful condition, that you're far worse than you ever could imagine. But the love that loves at all times tells you that you are far more loved than you could ever dare to believe. This is the love of your forever friend, Jesus who sticks closer to you than a brother. The only way you'll be a friend to others is if you know the intimate friendship that Jesus has with you. Let's pray together for a minute. Thanking Jesus for his friendship, asking for you to go deeper in that friendship. Two, for you to be a great friend to others. And three, for you to consider who's in your circle what changes need to be made. Let's pray together for a few moments and then we'll pray and then continue to worship through song. Father in heaven, the relationships that we have 
are shaping us and molding us into either the person you want us to be or a person further from the life that you had intended for us. Pray that you would help us to do an audit of our relationships and of our circles. Yeah, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He hung with those kinds of people. But at the same time, when we know our identity, when we know our identity, and we're strong in faith, we can stand. We can be a witness to people like that. But if we don't know our identity, then popularity can turn us into a casualty. Lord, help us to know ourselves, to know you well, to walk with you, to make decisions about the company that we keep, and to make choices about the kind of friend we want to be, anchored and fueled by our friendship with Jesus, the friend, the true friend, sticks closer to us than a brother ever could. Thank you so much as we continue to continue to respond to you. Lord, help us to know the friendship of God and to know that that is a critical aspect of knowing your goodness to us. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.